need some motivation on your Chinese business endeavor, may be curious about what the Chinese business environment is all about, or want to laugh out loud listening to war stories on the ground in China, then this is your show, China Business Cast. All right, today, our guest today has been living in China since 2005. Uh, after multiple roles, he created our own company uh, in an industry that's rapidly growing uh, globally. We're talking about the sharing economy today. Our company, Whitespace, uh, offers flexible short-term meeting and training room uh, all across China, basically. Our guest today is Barbara X. She's the founder of, uh, and CEO of Whitespace. And I think you know, you've been here for over 15 years and moving all around from the U.S. to U.K., uh, China, but also traveling all across Asia, basically, and very highly active in the Shanghai community when it comes to the American Chamber of Commerce, uh, MIT Alumni Club, EO as a, mentorship, as a chair in a mentorship program. And I think last year it was even named IPWS Entrepreneur of 2019. So, um, yeah, I feel really honored to have you uh, on the show today, Barbara. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Is, uh, we actually met at an event uh, at EO uh, recently, and uh, we actually we sat at uh, the same uh, table. And uh, I think we both tried to answer the question of Mark Mason, uh, which we both, I think, failed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. How, what's the one thing? to grow my business. It was like, well, if I knew that one thing, I'd be doing it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was a good, that was a good uh, confrontation. Uh, but um, yeah, maybe uh, just a, a quick introduction about yourself. I did a brief intro, but yeah, what also what made you come to China and why you're still here until uh, now? <laughs> yeah. Well, when I introduced myself, I always say that um, I'm a former engineer. So my, my degree and my training, I came from, uh, I was a chemical engineer, and I worked in the chemicals or manufacturing industries for um, almost all of my career. Um, I actually came to being an entrepreneur in a startup and in a sharing economy, which doesn't have a lot to do with manufacturing, uh, quite late in my career. But um, I would say that being an engineer influences my mindset in that I tend to think in terms of systems and standardization and efficiency, which is very much influenced the development of white space. You, you mentioned in, when we were sitting at the table um, the, in uh, November or December, uh, you mentioned that basically the entrepreneurship opened up a really a whole new world for you. You were not familiar with that space uh, at all because you were really in. Uh, like you said, just said, as an engineer, how has the entrepreneurship now has changed your mindset? And, and does, I always think that Chinese always think very entrepreneurial when it comes to just doing business. So maybe being in China would also have helped you to go into this direction. Absolutely. Um, I think that's part of the answer of why, am I, why I'm still here. Um, I moved here in 2005 uh, because my... Um, then fiance and subsequently husband was offered a, a two month, uh, uh, sorry, a two year project here in China. And so in January 2005, I moved here on, on an assignment that was supposed to be for 18 months or two years. And uh, 15 years later, I'm still here. And I'd say one of the reasons that I'm still here is because it's just so exciting here in China. Um, I find the 
the creativity and the business environment um, just, you know, the most exciting place to be. I, I tell friends I have a, a front row seat to watch the 21st century unfold, uh, and I'm really lucky to be here. Um, so I'd say that that's probably been an influence in how I ended up um, starting my own business. But also, I, I would say that um, although I'd always had a, a corporate career, uh, I'd never exactly fit into that track. I moved in my career between working for some of the biggest corporations uh, like IBM and Lenovo, but also working for some quite small um, niche consultancies of a couple of hundred people, which is a very different environment. Um, and I'd even done my own startup before in, in London with a couple friends, uh, which, you know, didn't succeed, but uh, I learned a lot from it. So it was that um, I think what brought me to being an entrepreneur is the willingness to experiment, to say, okay, well, this is a new environment, a new challenge. Let's see how I do in that. We're actually both in a, in a, in a quite interesting period of China during, uh, in the midst of the coronavirus. Uh, we just discussed a little bit together already where we just, uh, yeah, we're both, you're now working from your, from your office space. Uh, a lot of people are still working from home, like, my, like myself. Um, it's, I also think this is really, although it's uh, terrible what, what is happening and the impact it has, it also shows a lot of opportunity for China to show what they're capable of and what they're willing, uh, willing to do and uh, how, how everyone can stand together basically as, uh, as one. Uh, how, how have you experienced these last few weeks on, on, on the coronavirus and the impact on business itself? Well, uh, from a from a business impact, it's been uh, it's been direct. Um, so I think, uh, like many people in China, or perhaps earlier than many people in China, I started hearing about this 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 virus coming out of Wuhan, sort of um, before Chinese New Year, end of January, and uh, we were already, you know, starting to ramp down. But we had customers uh, using white space all the way through Chinese New Year. Um, so I was supposed to go into the office on the 26th, uh, which is like the day after Chinese New Year, because we had a customer. Um, and uh, it was about three or four days before I suddenly made the connection. I was like, wait a minute. Um, this, every indication looks like this is going to be a serious problem um, for China to control. Um, and we are in a business which is predicated on people meeting face-to-face -face and in large groups. Okay. Uh, and I went home and started mind mapping um, our recovery plan that day. So um, people ask me now, how is it going? And I'm like, oh, I am four weeks into our recovery plan. I, this is old news for me by this point. Yeah. Um, so, but the other positive thing I can say is, although we're at the front lines of the impact, we're also at the front lines of the recovery. So I see the Google searches of people looking for meeting space starting to increase. Um, and we had two new customer inquiries yesterday, one this morning already. So I know that the isolation caused by the, by the necessary quarantine uh, 
has uh, impacted people, other people's businesses, uh, and they want to get back to work. They want to get to no, back to normal. And so when it's safe, when the government allows us to, um, we're going to offer a safe professional space for people to meet, and they will come back. Yeah, so we, before we go further, like white space, I, I gave a brief introduction, but how, how would you describe white space and, and, and how is it, how, how does this, this sharing workspace and uh, facilities in China and how, how is it different from other parts in the world? Mm. Well, I, I say um, we're a new model in the sharing economy that I call co-meeting. So nobody works in our offices. I mean, our staff work here, obviously, but nobody uh, comes here. Uh, to work day to day, not like the co-working spaces. What we're offering is a is a temporary flexible space for people to hold larger events that they don't have room in their own offices. So, uh, and one of the core values of white space is um, convenience and flexibility. So you can rent a meeting room of any size from four people to 200 people. Um, and it can be set up however you want it to be. Um, and the minimum booking period is only a half day. Um, so if you want to have a team building, uh, a special training, a product exhibition, a meeting with your sales force who aren't usually based in your office, you know, any kind of reason why you might need space for a specific event, we offer that. Um, and at really affordable prices that ordinary Chinese companies can afford. So is it is it very popular in, in China to make use of co-meeting space, or is it still something that is in, uh, in infancy states? Well, we're really pioneering the concept. I spend a lot of time explaining it to people, and they always say, oh, so you're co-working. And I'm like, nope, not co-working. Um, I often say, imagine a hotel uh, conference center, then subtract the hotel. Right. Um, and we're offering the amenities at a third the price of most hotels. So the idea is um, we're positioned uh, value for money really to fit the middle of the Chinese market, offering that convenience of um, you can, you know, you could book this afternoon. Most people book uh, two or, or four weeks ahead. Uh, but we're really just whatever you want to do in our space, we've got uh, the support for you. Mm. So we're starting to build that concept. Um, and roll it out. We now have locations all across Shanghai, uh, and we're looking later in the year to be expanding into Beijing and Shenzhen. Hmm. So you, you've seen a lot of meetings and events happening uh, in your facilities or the facilities that, that you offer. How, how do you think, how is, this, how is it run differently in China, these events or meetings? Do you see any, any differences? <laughs> Well, the, the first one is probably that they tend to be bigger. And then I think that's part of the reason why this model has really um, proved especially suitable for China uh, in that um, when I benchmark against what's happening in the sharing economy, sharing space in the U.S., people are looking for meeting rooms for 10, 12, maybe 20 people, often as a part of an away day that they want to get away from the office and do some brainstorming. But um, we find that our meeting sizes are bigger. So there'll be 30, 40, 50 participants. Um, and I think that's um, kind of indicative of uh, 
more collectivist thinking here in Asia, that you want to get more groups involved in the creation of, of any um, initiative in a, in a company, and therefore you need a bigger space to bring everybody together. Yeah. Uh, the other big difference in China is one of the services that we, we, we offer not only the space, but add-on services, coffee, tea, lunch boxes, any kind of service you would want to have when you have a meeting. And one of the mandatory things is you have to have a banner outside your meeting room and you have to have a banner across the back that you can take the group photo with afterwards. I think that's a law in China. I think the, it is a law. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I think the, uh, probably the coffee and also the tea and the snacks is also different than what you would, uh, what you would have. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have different um, menu options and, and we kind of have the, the Chinese packages and the foreigner packages. Yeah. And the Chinese packages obviously start with tea rather than coffee and different kinds of snacks. Exactly. And your customer base is, is basically Chinese companies, right? It is. Uh, a lot of people assume that because I'm a foreigner running a business here in Shanghai that I'm, that I'm also aiming it at the foreigner market. But we're not. We're a Chinese company and 95% of our customers are Chinese, whether completely local companies or uh, multinational companies, but we're dealing with local staff. Yeah. And is it, uh, you mentioned before to, to, to convince people about that you're a co-meeting space, not a co-working space. Is it difficult for you as a foreigner to convince Chinese companies to, to make use of your facilities and your concepts? Well, uh, luckily I don't have to. Um, I'm many things, but not a salesperson. Okay. Um, so we have, a, my, my co-founder is Chinese and we have a, a Chinese sales team um, who are uh getting the inquiries from, from search from all our uh, partner channels and dealing with the, the, the local organizer, negotiating prices and arranging all the services. So very happy with our, our local sales team. Hmm. So sharing economy is a big topic. What, what are the developments of sharing economy in China that you, you've seen in the past years? So I think we know the story of WeWork, but there are also plenty of other initiatives happening here. You have some ones that maybe are less familiar for foreign companies. Uh, they have to be local to know them and to understand them. Yeah, well, um, I think uh, one of the reasons that, um, that convinced me to start this business was watching the rise of the, the bike sharing uh, companies here in, in, in China and particularly in Shanghai. Uh, I saw these strange orange bikes appearing on the sidewalk where I live in Jing'an, and I thought, what are these? The, the, you know, you see one person on an orange bike, you think, oh, that's just one person who bought an odd colored bicycle. And then I saw a second one, and then I saw a third one, and I thought, what is this? Um, so I started researching, and I became quite an early adopter of the bikes, and they completely changed my relationship with commuting around Shanghai. I use them every day. I still use them. Um, they uh, they change the way I see the city geography. They change the way I think about getting around. Um, I just think they're a fantastic, fantastic model for for urban centers. And that idea of our meeting rooms are like the bikes in that it's while the meeting room is yours, it's 100% yours, just like the bike, right? While I'm riding it, it's my bike. And then when I'm done with it, I lock it up and I leave it and I don't need to worry about it anymore. Yeah. And that's exactly the same with the meeting rooms so that we have it set up ready for you when you arrive. You have your meeting. It's your room. You're not sharing with anybody else. You have 
can close the door, you can put paper over the windows if you're doing something that's extremely confidential. Um, it is 100% your meeting room while you have it. And then when you're done, you clear out and you don't have any responsibility to pay for it. Um, so unlike keeping a meeting room in your own office, it's much, much more cost effective. Yeah. It's talking about the bike sharing. I remember seeing a video on, on YouTube where they basically use the GPS to track all the movements of the bikes in Shanghai. So you have all these light flows going through the city to see like what are the peak moments and how these all the bikes are being used uh, during a daily life, uh, during a daily workday in, in Shanghai. It's, it's very, very fascinating to, to see. Uh, yeah. So, so for you, how do you do it differently regarding to, like WeWork is a lot of discussion. It's highly uh, investment. Uh, for in your case, are you renting the whole facilities or how does it, how do you prevent yourself from any risks? Well, um, I'd say the, uh, the big difference between us and WeWork is that um, we have a, nat a much more naturally cooperative model with the building owners than WeWork. Um, so WeWork or any other co-working space, they're a little bit frenemies with the um, commercial real estate because on the one hand, of course, they want someone to take three floors of their building and provide that cool factor. Uh, on the other hand, every person who rents a desk in a co-working space is not renting an office. So the commercial real estate uh, developers were always a little, and justifiably, a little cautious about they're basically cannibalizing from their own office um, rental market. Whereas we're a natural complement to the office rental market. So we've already experienced this in, in one of the buildings we're in Shanghai, where the landlord who's provided great support uh, for us is also marketing to their office tenants a reason to come to their building is that this white space is available as an amenity. So you can rent an office here and in the same building have flexible office, uh, flexible access to large meeting rooms anytime you want. And for that customer who's a large multinational brand, we provided a special um, special price so that that was part of an integrated offer to the to the office tenant. Mm. So we're finding that kind of natural cooperation means that landlords are uh, increasingly interested in coming to white space and offering a non, uh, not a straightforward commercial rental arrangement, but more flexible types of cooperation in terms of maybe we manage their meeting rooms in their building for them as an operator, or maybe they offer us uh, free or sub-market rents and we do some portion of revenue share. And that's what's uh, going to help us develop further. It reduces the risk that we're tied into very, very large long-term rental contracts because we're working with the real estate owners and operating the assets that they have. Yeah, yeah interesting. And your ambition is actually to have a complete O2O platform for meeting and training support all across Asia. How are you planning to scale that and how is O2O is going to facilitate that? Because basically you are offering a physical meeting set up O2O, how does that fit in in that concept? Well, scaling across Asia is um, having learned from the way the bikes scaled out. Um, we need to maintain our position as we're the market leader. We're creating this market and we need to stay out in front. We are the brand 
that you would copy if for the inevitable Chinese copycats that will come. And um, I'm already, uh, as as founder and CEO, I'm already talking to developers in uh, Shenzhen and Hong Kong and Singapore uh, to just scale out across all of all of Asia. Um, and that commonality of this is a professional platform, a professional brand that you can count on, is also a value differentiator in the marketplace. So. I love the concept of an integrated O2O platform. It needs to include include both sides. Um, And that actually, I think, supports um, a standardized platform and a standardized brand across multiple locations. Because in order to really make the online portion work well, requires a lot of equipment. Um, We're now installing specialized high-end video conferencing facility in three of our locations as a trial. And these sets are 50,000 RMB upwards for, you know, a 55-inch screen with integrated uh, cameras and multi-directional microphones so that you can hear everyone in the meeting room. Um, That type of equipment is expensive for an ordinary office to have but if you come to white space, you can use it for when you need it. So it actually supports um, going to a specialized location, even for the online portion. So you, you, your company, and I checked it, your, your company name, besides white space, you, are, you have a Chinese name? Yeah, it's Liu Bai Kongtian. So how come, the, because the translation is, is, is similar to white space, but there's also some different components to it that you probably chose for a specific reason. I'm always interested in why to choose the, the name, the, the, the Chinese uh, name of the... Or did you first come up with the Chinese and then made a, come up with an English one? No, I, I started with the English name, the idea of white space as a, as a, a blank canvas that um, we give our, our customers the ability to create whatever they want inside the, the space. And it's that idea of offering that freedom and flexibility, the white space to create. Uh, And then I knew that as a Chinese company, we'd need a name that communicated that same value in Chinese. Um, So I was asking friends for their ideas. And one of them suggested Liu Bai is a term from uh, the traditional Chinese uh, painting. It's the idea of the white that's left on the page really defines the image just as much as the brushstrokes. That idea of the white in the painting defines where the black is uh, that carry that that same poetical meaning of a canvas. Um, So that's how we chose the name. All right, interesting. The um, so I want to talk more about some some side activity besides the American Chamber of Commerce and the MIT. You're also doing this EO mentorship pro- program. Ship program. So yeah, how does mentorship? Because I know you told me already that you you've been using a mentor yourself. You're you're a mentor for others as well. How did it help you on your China adventure? Um, I think that. Um you always need people who can stand outside of uh, you and, and give you feedback that uh, of the areas that you can't see yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find uh, having a mentor and having a coach tremendously useful uh, in that, you know, I'll get so caught up in my focus in the day to day in the problems that I'm constantly solving as a founder. Um, and my mentor is fantastic at 
uh, pulling me back to see the big picture and keeping me focused on, yeah, I know you've got all of these challenges, but you said the most important thing to grow your business is X. And so what have you done on X? I know you've had a thousand fires to fight in the meantime, but that doesn't let you off of the responsibility to be doing the thing that's really going to grow you to the next level. Mm -hmm. Um, And everybody needs that, no matter what level you're operating. Someone to hold that accountability, keep you focused, and remind you where you're actually going. How how do Chinese look at mentorship? Is it a really a Western way of thinking, or is it much more global? Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, we haven't really uh, uh, the EO chapter is the English speaking chapter, so in Shanghai. So even though there are Chinese citizens who uh, are members, um, it's really predominantly operated in a Western style. Um, I am uh, working on having my Chinese co-founder join the the Chinese chapter uh, to get him that kind of support as well. One of the things he said to me was that he was jealous of my the fact that I had a business coach, that I had someone outside the business who he who I could talk to frankly. And you know, as close as we are, sometimes you know, if you want to complain about your co-founder, you need to talk to somebody. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think that. Uh, he's a really unusual uh, guy. I think that, um, you know, that's the reason why he's my partner. But I think that uh, people who are walking that entrepreneurial road uh, will find that they need they need the same kind of support, regardless of nationality. Yeah, it's, it's still something. You see the apps like uh, Shimalaya and some other learning apps that are out there, which also is a little bit on training and educating and sharing but it's not a directly one-on-one mentorship um, program uh, i think that's still something that is has a big potential in china itself um, to grow it might be there it might be less visible for me but it is um, uh, it's, it is more a western concept uh, as far as i know yeah i think so i think it comes from different ideas of um the education model so the Chinese education model is much more based on expertise being passed down from teacher to student. Um, and uh, certainly uh, I know from friends who've been through Chinese education that a lot more emphasis on uh, rote learning and reproducing the correct answer. Um, whereas um, Western education uh, will have some of that, but then also emphasize you know, the Socratic method of asking you questions and having you generate the answer on your own. And it's just a different way to think about it. I think both have their uses. God knows you can't learn Chinese characters by anything other than memorizing them. Um, but that uh, the ability to discover the path through your own internal inquiry is also a useful a useful method so why not do both yeah so um yeah our podcast is basically on china business so it's it's one we want to show some war stories on doing business in china over your last 15 15 years i'm sure you had experienced some war stories is there something <laughs> that, that really that like sticks out that you think yeah, this one is very interesting to to share with the audience um well i you know it, Right now, I'm in the midst of one, right? Um, the, the coronavirus outbreak is 
uh, at a scale that's just completely unprecedented in any country's business. Um, and the fact that, as I said, we're it's it's directly opposed to our business model, meeting often face to face in groups, um, not one on one, but in groups of you know ten to two hundred. That's obviously going to be completely directly affected by um, the situation that nobody could have predicted or or necessarily uh, prevented. Um, I think the Chinese government's done a great job, and I. Um, I'm optimistic about our recovery, but we've had to um, find our way through it with the, you know, the creativity and the innovation that I think Chinese entrepreneurs are are great at. So um, uh, most of our staff are in the office meeting together. Um, we have no heat, so we're all wearing, you know, three layers and coats for our morning meeting, and we're having the meeting wearing masks. But we're having it, um, and uh, uh, we have now. We had scaled up um, last year from one location, which was where we were uh, just after Spring Festival last year, to five locations with you know uh, investment money in our pocket to possibly do another two, because we know that traditionally China. Uh, Chinese me meetings boom after Chinese New Year. It's kind of that New Year, New You kind of like, let's all get back to business and do things. So exactly the time we were expecting peak demand, we'd scaled up to meet that, and we have 0, 0.0 customers, um, which, you know, you got to steer your way through. Um, but actually, that's the flexibility. I think that Chinese entrepreneurship is known for it's like, well, how can we use this time? So we have all the staff here. We're catching up on all the training that we didn't have time to do when we were busy. And uh, so the frontline staff have training every single day. And uh, we're, we're implementing two software systems that are important for us to run our business across uh, five locations now, you know, maybe 20 later in the year. Um, now we have time to 100% get them implemented this month as opposed to trying to part-time roll them out while we're still dealing with customers. Um, and uh, it's, there's a kind of uh, spirit of everybody pulling together. Uh, what can we do to use this time so that when our customers come back, we're there, open doors, disinfected offices, smiles on our faces, and ready to meet them. Yeah, we, last thing, uh, well, we are, we're on a podcast. Uh, we, we may, you, you and me both have a passion for, for podcast itself. Uh, after our uh, meeting, you, you basically shared your top five. Is, yes. there, is there one favorite one that you would like to share of, of besides the China Business Cast, of course? <laughs> Obviously, besides this one. Actually, you point this out. I've been a, a podcast fan for so many years, and this is my first appearance on a podcast. So thank oh. you very much for that. <laughs> wow, honored to have you. Um, I'd say if I had to pick one that uh, I think has been uh, both a personal favorite and the most useful to me in my journey, it's uh, Gimlet Media's podcast called The Pitch. Um, and it's entrepreneurs with widely varying businesses uh, doing an investment pitch to uh, real investors who are represent VCs and are also highly experienced uh, angel investors. 
and listening to both sides. So you listen to the pitch and then you listen to the investors' private conversation in the room afterwards and you listen to what the, the entrepreneur said afterwards and then a month later what happened. And it taught me a huge amount, uh, of course, about how to pitch, but also about how to think about your business from the standpoint of someone who's outside it, looking for where are the weaknesses that actually I took lessons from every single one of those and said, okay, well, we need to get better at this. We need to get better at that because I need to be able to answer that question when I'm asked it. Um, and I learned really well from real world examples. So I love listening to the drama of, you know, are they going to get the money or not? Cool. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, well, your first uh, ever live podcast. <laughs> is there anything that you still would like to share that maybe I, I didn't mention or you would like to emphasize? I think what comes across is, is my, my passion for entrepreneurship. Um, I know it's not necessarily a path for everybody, um, but it is uh, for people who choose to take it. Um, it's enormously... Uh, rewarding, at least in a sense of fulfillment, if not economically. Uh, I was laughing with one of my fellow EO members saying that if we were, if we were rational, we would not be doing this. Uh, you know, we're both pretty smart. We could be getting a job in an investment bank and, and, and really have a nice life. But um, we're trying to create something. And that drive to create something that didn't exist and to make it available to the world uh, is, is a calling, uh, and it's also a great gift. Uh, whether Whitespace uh, succeeds at becoming the Pan-Asia platform that I know it can, or whether it doesn't, all the meetings, all the workshops, all the trainings that happened in our space, they really happened. We gave that platform to other people. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, that's kind of a legacy. Cool. Very nice uh, ending words. So, so if people want to follow you and if you're inspired by what you said, how they, where can they go to, to learn more? Um, so our English website is whitespace.co, not .com, .co, like cooperate or collaborate. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll be putting a lot more content up there. Uh, I'm not great at social media, um, but uh, I'll try and get better at it. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, if you're okay, I'll share your, your WeChat and LinkedIn as well in the, in the notes. Absolutely. Yes. And then they can look up. I will put in the, the Chinese website for if there's Chinese listeners, because there's also, I think, English. You can click English on it as well. can understand yes. your company. All right. Very good. Thank you so much, uh, Barbara. Stay safe. <laughs> and uh, hope to see you soon. Yeah, hope to see you soon. All right, thanks. Doing business in China is a complex world. You can quickly feel alone and lost in its maze. But don't worry, China Business Cast is here for you. Sign up for our newsletter and regular updates on our website at www.chinabusinesscast.com. Thanks for tuning in.